0: So, good afternoon, Covenant Church. Uh, It's good to have you and see you uh, today. Uh, Last Sunday, as many of you know, we had a visit from the IPC denomination, and we had three uh, guests. Uh, Two of them were in our worship together with us, and one of them, uh, a Korean-British guy, a pastor, uh, was preaching at uh, another church. And Reverend Jay Kunt gave us a message, and uh, the other uh, elder. Uh, Simon Foster, uh, who is a a physician, uh, who was with us uh, last last Sunday. And then they thanked Covenant Church for our hospitality. And out of their uh, stay for seven days, uh, we took uh, the responsibility of taking care of them uh, Sunday, welcome dinner, and finding them hotels for uh, Sunday night and uh, uh, having the service with us today uh, together uh, on Sunday. So uh, they seemed uh, to enjoy very much uh, while they were here and also had a great meeting with the leaders of the Korean Presbyterian in which they expressed clearly that we operate in the framework of, uh, Bi- of the Bible and the Westminster Confession and the Book of Church Order. And it was clearly stated, and it was a great meeting uh, for our sake. Now, having said that, we're starting a new sermon series in the Book of Philippians, and uh, uh, today's the first, uh, first one. And so if you're there and find your bulletin, Uh, On page 4, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, if you're able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let, let us go to Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing and believing that you love us and you are the God of love. At the same time, you are the God of righteousness. So, Lord, help us to approach you as we would approach our Father, Abba Father, intimately. And also, help us to approach you with reverence and awe, because we are to fear you. We don't have to be afraid of you, but we have to fear you with respect that is due to you. We pray that you will teach us through your word. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the title of the sermon is grace, and grace, Peace, and Joy, and we'd like to talk about how God imparts his grace, peace, and joy to his people, to his church, not just theoretic- theoretically, but uh, realistically. Now, uh, this book, uh, the book of Philippians, is one of the 13 epistles in the New Testament, as you know and written by the Apostle Paul to the believers at Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi was an important city, Roman city in eastern Macedonia, uh, modern-day northeast Greece. The main theme of this book is to encourage and to exhort Christians to rejoice. The theme of joy is repeated in this book uh, very often. For instance, in today's text, verse 4, Paul says, "'Making my prayer with joy.'" And two most, two most uh, famous uh, verses regarding joy or to rejoice is, are found in chapter 3 and chapter 4. In chapter 3, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, again, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. The word joy or to rejoice Appears 13 times in the book of Philippians. Now, this is quite surprising when we, especially when we consider the circumstances of both the writer, the Apostle Paul, and the recipients of this letter, the Philippian believers. When Paul wrote these epistles, he was a prisoner in Rome. He was in prison in Rome, which means the biblical joy the, joy, the kind of joy he's talking about in this book or God is talking about in this book, the kind of joy God wants us to have is not bound by the worldly circumstances or conditions. And the members uh, in the Philippian church who were exhorted and encouraged to rejoice, they were in, uh, how can I say, not bad necessarily, but very difficult situations as well. First of all, they were desperately poor. They were... The word says, extremely poor. We can learn about their situation from the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, let me read this to, uh, to you. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, the, uh, the Philippian church was in Macedonia. So, including the church at Philippi, the particular church that Paul wrote this epistle to. For in a severe test of affliction, talking about persecution, and their abundance of joy, talking about joy again in in 2 Corinthians as well, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You see, they were in extreme poverty, but they showed a wealth of generosity to help the poor, uh, poor believers in Jerusalem. So the Apostle Paul was graciously surprised at the contribution of the Philippians for the sake of the saints in Jerusalem. And also the Philippians were also being persecuted for the sake of Christ and for the cause of the gospel. We, uh, we will hit this uh, probably uh, in, uh, in a few Sundays, but Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had now here that I still have. Now, both Paul and the Philippian believers were in great suffering. They were being persecuted. And they were poor, and they were being persecuted. But Paul says, rejoice, regardless of the circumstances that you might have, regardless of the conditions you find yourself in the world. Rejoice! Now, how could Paul and the Philippians rejoice in the middle of all these unfavorable and hard circumstances? Now, how can you and I rejoice living in this world that is filled with unhappy events? Now, we can complain about uh, the difficult uh, you know things that happen you know every day in our lives at your job you know at your work I mean at your at your home. Now, people, whether they are believers or not, we human beings, we want to be happy and pursue happiness relentlessly. And that's what we do. A lot of times, what people try to obtain is happy feelings. You know, we want to have happy feelings through all sorts of things such as pleasure, self gratification, achievement, food, travel, SNSs and so forth. However, not many people succeed in obtaining joy or happy feelings. A lot of people fail through the things of the world. Even if they succeed in achieving you know, so, so-called happiness in the worldly sense, through their lent- relentless efforts, it's just temporary feelings, temporary happy feelings at best. It does not last it's not deep enough. And the desire to rejoice or to be happy is not, not wrong. We want to be happy and we want to be joyful. We want to rejoice. As a matter of fact, God wants his people, his children, his beloved children, like you and me, to rejoice and to be happy. He wants us to, he wants us to rejoice and to be happy in a true sense. And this is one of the reasons why the, the book of Philippians was written. And there are reasons for Christians to rejoice, and there are things we Christians are supposed to be engaged, to be happy, and to rejoice to God's glory. Now, with these things in mind, let us study the text for today. In verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want, to, I want to say this. You may have grace, peace, and joy together, but you cannot have just grace without having peace and joy. Or you cannot just have joy, I mean, true joy, without having grace and peace. Grace, peace, and joy, I think they go together. The saints, Paul says, to all the saints... Now, saints, like you and me, are God's people that are set apart from the rest of the world. As the saints, we have our own identity, faith, and destiny. We have been set apart from the rest of the world. So the way we live, our identity, the way we think, the the, the kind of hope that we have, all of these fundamental things are quite different from the... From, the, from those that the worldly people have. But the problem today for many Christians, I think, is that we pursue almost the same things as the people in the world pursue. We live in the same lifestyle in the same way that people in the world do. And this is something that, that should alert us. We are the saints which means we are the people set apart from the rest of the world. Therefore, we have a different identity. We have a, we have a different way of living. We have different destination, completely different. We are the benefactors of God's amazing grace. God has blessed us in Christ with many blessings. For instance, in, in, the, in the KM today, we talked about uh, the coming judgment. Where the KM is going through the book of Hebrews. All men, are, uh, destined, all men are appointed to die and there comes the judgment. And we will be exempt from the judgment, the wrath of God because we have been forgiven of our sins. Now, this is something that we should really think about. Now, when we talk about God's forgiveness, we, we, we say God is a forgiving God. He forgave our sins. We must consider why or how God forgives sins. If you really think about it, we should come to a conclusion that God never forgives sins. I mean, we easily say God, God forgives sins and God forgive my sins, but God doesn't forgive sins. God forgives sinners. The reason why God says, your sins and my sins are forgiven, is because he dealt with our sins on the cross. He punished, he punished his son. He killed his son on the cross for our sins. He never forgives sins because he is a righteous God. He cannot compromise. The only reason why we can say that we have been forgiven is because God dealt with our sins by bestowing our due penalty on his son Jesus and he was cursed and killed on the cross for our sins therefore god never forgives sin he forgives sinners yes we have been forgiven and our sins have been washed away but god indeed punished our sins and as a result we came to a peace full eternal and unhindered peace between God and us. This is something that you must believe that you have peace with God, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your circumstances, even regardless of your sins. I mean, your sins will have consequences. When we, when we commit sin, it will surely have consequences. But it doesn't destroy the peace that we have between God and us because the kind of peace that we have is not established by our own do's and don'ts. The peace between God and us has been established by the finished work of Jesus Christ. So there is peace. There is eternal peace, unbreakable, unhindered peace between God and us. When we pray, you know, when we commit sin, we should pray to God. We should, we should confess our sins to God. Therefore, we should search our hearts and lives to be able to confess in the right way. But it's not your confession that enables God to forgive you, if you really think about it. It's not even about your seriousness or even your tears. God has already forgiven your sin and my sin in Christ Jesus through his Son. We, want to, we need to claim and experience his forgiveness that is already given to us. Peace, in the same way, we can experience God's peace, not through our own efforts. Peace is already there, because the Prince of Peace has already given us peace between God and us. We need to claim that peace and experience that peace to the glory and praise of God. Now, peace with God means life. Those who do not have peace with God are going to fall into the second death. Peace is not, in the, in the first place, it's not, it's not about feelings. It's our position. It's our relationship with God. We have peace with God, which means we're not God's enemies anymore. We are his children. Like I said, those who do not, do not have peace with God are going to go to sec, uh, into second death, the hell, because their sins still remain with them. He doesn't forgive sins. Sin must be dealt with in one way or another. If your sins are dealt by Jesus Christ, then you don't have to deal with your sins. But if your sins remain with you, then you will have to deal with the sins on your own before God. In the world, we Christians, the only people group that have the true reason to rejoice, if you really think about it. We have all the, all the reasons and all the blessings to, to rejoice. We have, we have received God's forgiveness. We have, uh, we have, we're citizens of, 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 in, in God's kingdom, heaven, and we are bound for heaven. And the worst thing that can ever happen to anybody in this world is what? Earthquake or... War, or death, or illness, or being sexually uh, raped. The worst thing that can ever happen to to a human being is this. Dying without knowing Jesus. That's That's the worst thing. If you already know Jesus, the worst thing is not going to happen to you. The worst thing is to die without knowing Jesus. Therefore, we should rejoice. We can rejoice And Christians Christians, the only people group who can rejoice because we are bound for heaven. And non-believers, unfortunately, no matter what they have at the moment, wealth, power, health, no matter what they have, if they really think about their destiny, they cannot rejoice until they find Christ as their Savior and Lord. And our future, a lot of people you know, find, want to build their future, have a, have a brighter future. They want to work, they work so hard to make sure that their future is, is, is going to be brighter than now. That's what we want. We want our future to be bright and to be secure. And if you really think about it, our future couldn't be brighter. Our future couldn't be secure. A true believer, a true Christian is the one who is never afraid to face tomorrow because tomorrow is going to only fasten our brightest future in heaven. So as believers, we're not worried about or sad about even getting old, right? Getting old is is a blessing. Because time to depart from this world is coming near. So Paul, a prisoner in Rome, an aged man, old man, rejoices for the fact that the Philippian believers are in the same grace and peace with him. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God. He's speaking in this way in prison. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He prayed for them. He never stopped working for God. He never stopped serving God, no matter what circumstances he was under. I heard about this woman who was paralyzed, and who, who, she, can only, she could only talk. So people from his, her church, someone from her church, you know, uh, carefully asked her, So I, I hope you don't feel uh, depressed because you cannot do anything for the Lord because you're paralyzed. And she says firmly, I serve God all the time. And the one who asked was surprised to hear that answer. She goes, I serve him by praying to God for you, for you guys all the time. Now, prayer is an important work. Praying for fellow believers is an important work. Because when you pray, God works So Paul says, always in my prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Number one, he said making my prayer with joy because, number one, he was able to still pray for them, express his love for them to God, still pray for them, and he knew that God would work through his prayer. Even though he was in prison, God was not bound to work for the sake of the brothers at Philippi. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Paul regards them as companions and partners in the gospel. Now, do we have that kind of understanding and and, and convictions about each other? Are we partners in the gospel in this church? He says, In verse 6, I like this verse, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began the good work, and he will make it to completion. He began the good work in you and in me, and he will bring it to completion. We will surely get to the destination. We will surely make it to the end, because it is God who began the good work in us. And Paul says, rationally, he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, partakers with me of grace. He emphasized once more about the partnership, partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, that Paul's main focus, his main goal, was the gospel. Partnership in the gospel means to live in the same truth, in the same grace and peace, and also to suffer for the same cause, and to have the same hope. Now, what connects us as the body of Christ Jesus? Not our ethnicity, because look around—we're from different ethnic backgrounds. And what connects us as one body, as the body of Jesus Christ? What connects us? I think we need to focus on that. Not our language, even because you know that I'm, English is not my, my first language. What connects us is the truth. Is the gospel. Is the life and death of Jesus Christ. That's what connects us. And we should be connected through that. Also, the Philippians were bearing fruits as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They engaged themselves in good works, including helping and caring for the Apostle Paul. Remember, they sent financial gift to the Apostle Paul, and they prayed for him, out of their extreme poverty. And people sometimes say that I cannot give to the Lord or, or give to church because you know, I don't have enough money. Come on. They gave out of extreme poverty. And although they were not in prison as Paul was, they also suffered for the cause of the gospel in their lives. Now, think about this. The Philippians were mostly Gentile believers. There were a small number of Jews, probably, but many of them were probably Roman citizens. And Paul himself planted his church in the city of Philippi on his second missionary journey. In his, on his second missionary journey in Macedonia at Philippi, he met some local people with whom he planted the Philippian church. And there were, for instance, remember, the businesswoman named Lydia, right? Lydia was there, and one of the, you know, uh, church planter, uh, founding members, and one slave girl, fortune-telling girl, remember? And a jailer, remember the jailer? So these are the people that Paul started the, the, the church at Philippi together with. And, and I'm sure that the jailer and, and the Lydia, they were Roman citizens, Now, Lydia was a rich woman, and Jailer was probably a decent uh, middle uh, class or upper middle class guy because he was a Jailer. <laughs> However, during those, uh, those days, when a Roman citizen becomes a Christian, guess what's going to happen? He or she is supposed to lose much of his rights as a Roman citizen. Sometimes, their, their possessions have been confiscated, taken away from them. And this was probably, probably one reason why the Philippian believers were poor, because they could not stay wealthy as Christians. When I visited India, I visited India probably six, eight, six seven times. You know, in India, places like Gujarat, uh, uh, state, like Gujarat, uh, you know, it, it hardly happens, but it does happen. When a Hindu, let's say business owner, a Hindu business owner becomes a believer, becomes a Christian, guess what's going to happen? His business will go out of the way. People stop, will stop coming to him because people say, people say, oh, he betrayed us. He became a Christian. So let's not go to his shop. Let's not go and do business with him. So he will have to face failure, and poverty as a result. That's what happened to many members uh, in the church at Philippi, I believe. And they did not obviously mind losing the worldly possessions for the sake of the heavenly possessions. Now how much of your heart is given to the things of the world Or how much of your heart is is devoted to the things of God? How much time do you spend? How much time, precious time do you spend for communing with God through word and prayer? For praying for others or for serving Him? Or how much of your money is devoted to God? How much of the time is spent in the Bible or in Insta? Think about those things. They did not mind losing the worldly possessions for the sake of the heavenly possessions. They were content even. This is amazing in sufferings and trials because they were together in one faith and in one mind. As a matter of fact, The suffering and persecutions created oneness and unity among the Philippian believers. That's amazing. Remember, I I think many of you know this story. When the churches in China, uh, uh, many house churches were persecuted back in the 1990s, the Western church leaders offered to pray for them. We'll pray for you that persecution will stop. And the Chinese Christians responded by saying, don't pray that the persecution will stop. Pray for us that we may, we, we may endure. Because we need persecution. We don't want to become like you. <laughs> Korean Christians were known for zeal and commitment in history. Not anymore. Look around. Korean Christians are not anymore, not, not, no longer known for commitment and, and, and zeal. Why? Why? Because we have become wealthier. No persecution ever. The Apostle Paul heard about how the Philippian brothers and sisters were doing in the Lord. They continued as the genuine community of believers in worship, fellowship, and doing good works. I said worship, fellowship, and doing good works. This made Paul happy and thankful even in prison. Paul expressed his yearning heart for them in verse 8: For God is my witness. How I yearned for you, yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And Paul missed them. And he wanted to see them. This is spontaneous, I think. When when members and believers are in God's grace. In faith, engaging themselves in good works, they miss each other. They yearn for each other. They pray for one another. This is natural and spontaneous. And he goes on to exhort them to continue to grow in faith, knowledge, and good deeds. In verse 9, Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He says, You are loving each other and you love me, but your love may abound more and more. Continue to grow in love with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Which means prepare yourself as 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 pure bride for your bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Keep yourself holy and blameless. For the day of Christ, his coming, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul knew very well that when the Christian stops growing, then he's going to wither spiritually. There's no middle ground. When the Christian stops growing, he's going to wither spiritually. I believe that the first step... Or the most important step to take for us is to realize the seriousness and importance of of the Christian worship and fellowship. God the Father, I believe, communicates His grace, peace, and joy through Christian worship and fellowship. God the Father raises and nurtures His children through the church. Therefore, outside of the church, life of the church, there is no way for the Christian to grow. The importance of church worship and fellowship. Augustine said, He who does not have the church as his mother does not have God as his father. When I met some pastors uh, recently in Korea, Many of them were expressed their worries and and, and frustration because a lot of their members kind of disappeared uh, over the COVID-19 pandemic. During the COVID-19 pandemic, they stopped coming to worship because of the restrictions, and after restrictions are lifted, they don't show up, about half of them or 30% of them. And I think this is the same thing in the States, similar in the States, and in Europe, in the UK, in Scotland, Simon Foster, the guy, a physician who visited us last, last Sunday, uh, he told me about the Scottish church. I thought the Scottish church was already dying. That's what, that's what I heard about the, Scottish, the situation of the Scottish church. But he says, even more, even more. Many church buildings are turning into pubs. I mean, nothing wrong with pubs, you know, but the church is turning into pubs. That's the problem, you know. I love to go, you know, go to the pub uh, if I could. Scottish churches are, are dying, and the churches in England are dying. And I believe, first personally, a true believer will come to worship. And those who are content, just worshiping at home through online or through whatever, I question their faith. Because these days, you know, it was almost predictable uh, during the COVID-19 that uh, what you call the, the Metabus technology, uh, online church, was going to be an option for many people even after COVID-19 pandemic. And that is happening because... In the States, for instance, there are, you know, job openings for uh, online pastors, which means they have congregation online, they play music online, they worship, you know, sermon is, is you know, provided online, and giving of the offerings happening online, everything is happening online, online pastors. Now, what is wrong with that? Someone asked me, Pastor, what is wrong with that, you know? I can worship online, you know, I can pay attention. And some you know it's, it's even more, more beneficial because I get I get to have selection to listen to you know better sermons, better churches and better preachers and better sermons. Let me say this. When George Whitfield, a famous evangelist, in England, he, he was known for his zealous preaching, right? In open field preaching, he preached to over 20,000 people. His voice was heard, literally over 20,000 people. And when he preached, there was a reporter just jotting down his preaching, taking notes. So George Whitfield asked him, what are you doing, brother? The reporter said, oh, I'm writing down your, your sermon so that I can... Communicate this wonderful grace to others who are not here. And George Fitzfield said, You may do so. You may write down what I say exactly, but you will never be able to write down or record what the Holy Spirit does at the moment. Where two or three are gathered in my name, gathered physically in my name, I shall be in their midst. Amen. something something is missing surely when we were meeting through online during the covid-19 pandemic something serious was missing something significant was missing there was the presence of god in worship so let me suggest some applications please regard the public worship as crucial in your life. If you want to have grace, peace and joy, public worship, like Sunday worship, should be crucial in your life if you're a believer. Because outside of the church, God does not communicate His grace, peace and joy to his people. Now be faithful worshipers. What does that mean specifically? Now, we need to show our reverence and fear of God by coming early enough to be prepared to worship God. Now, this is something that uh, the KM members are really striving to, uh, to improve. And today uh, was much better than uh, last Sunday because there were many who were habitually late for the worship. And you can, I mean, some things can happen. You can, you know, uh, there could be, you know, traffic jam, you know, Things can happen, but if you're habitually late for worship, something wrong there. I don't think you're habitually late for work. Because you, if you're habitually late for work, you'll get fired. When you meet an important person, for instance, important meeting, who should go there first? Who should go there and wait for the other? The lower, right? Not the greater, the lower. We're talking about worshiping the living God on Sunday. Now, who should be here first? When you go to concert, for instance, piano concert, like famous piano concert, I you know I I I I forgot the name uh, this guy's name from Czech Republic, and he was a pianist, a well-known award you know well-known pianist. Pianist came to play in Korea. That was deadly serious. You know, the, the one who, who got tickets for me, he said, make sure that you arrive half an hour before. I got the pamphlet. I read the pamphlet thoroughly to see, to learn about this guy and what musical piece he was, go- he was going to play. And we were, we, were, we were told to come in and take seats 10 minutes before the concert started. And as soon as time came, the door closed. Nobody said anything. We need to have reverence for God. God cannot be mocked. So I, said, I say, I suggest that better, it's, it's a good idea to, to come here at least 10 or 20 minutes prior to the start of the worship on Sunday Without question, God is greater than us. Therefore, we should be waiting for Him. Now, secondly, fellowship with fellow believers through small groups is not an option. I mean, you you can have some appointment, and, and you can you know uh, probably that appointment is something that you have to take care of. But in general, in general, Christian fellowship now Sunday is probably for many many of you city uh, life in the city life. Today is the only day we can really have fellowship, you know, uh, through small groups. And I suggest that, you know, we're going, we're going to have leaders meeting, you know, maybe once a, once a, once a month or something. We can, have, we can have like small fellowship meal as well. I think that's something that we're missing, having meal together. We should do something like that more often because uh, a lone ranger cannot expect to grow a Christian lone ranger, you don't grow on your own. It is the, it, it it takes the community. It is it is in the community, the Christians find their identity and opportunities to grow in faith and love. I met uh, often meet some uh, people Christian people, uh, many of them Koreans who are who have much knowledge, theological nerd who read and and, and reformed theology and who want to argue with me and who, 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 who even want to brag about their knowledge, and I say in my heart, come on, you're a bunch of babies. You do not know what you're talking about. Knowledge without love, knowledge without relationships, knowledge without getting to know people, that's useless. Thirdly, love and serve the church because she is the house of the living God. 1 Timothy 3, 15, Paul says, You may know how one ought to behave in the, house of, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. It says, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is, I mean, not this building. I'm not talking about this building, Okay. I'm talking about us, the living stones, collection of living stones, the church. Is it this is the this is the community that lasts forever. And to love God in, in, in practical sense is to love his church and his his people. So think about what you can and should do for the church. Now, I'm not told to do anything. Well, just come early and, and pray for worship. That's something that you can do. When I was, when I was a layperson, uh, uh, I don't know, about 25 years ago, and I was a member in a, in a small local church, and I, I prayed to God, God, what can I do for this church? And I thought about something big, something, something uh, meaningful, and God showed me The dirty toilet. The toilet was at the entrance like our building. It was smelly. So I cleaned the toilet. I mean, you don't have to clean the toilet because that's, you know, uh, management job. Our toilet is not our responsibility. But that brought me so much joy. Never thought about that I would clean the toilet. But that was something that God wanted me to do. And I I did everything I could. It was such a great joy because... People come and they say, hmm, it smells different. Feel happy. Yeah, I cleaned the toilet. It was my joy. So think about any small thing you can do for the church and God's people. Now, as we engage ourselves in doing these things, we will experience more and more of God's grace, peace, and joy. It comes through the truth and also through practice. May, may the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this community. And since we are uh, many of us are expats, uh, we have this mindset that we are going to be here temporarily, which is true. But the temporarily, two, three years or, or four, five years, it's not a small portion in our life. Lord, help us to be connected, united more and more through worship and fellowship, and doing good works together. Lord, help us to grow together. As we grow, you will impart more of your grace, peace, and joy to your people. And thank you for your good intent for your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.